You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, we've got Doug and Greg Stokes for another Lanyap podcast. We're joined this week again by a special guest, Michelle Johnson, who I've known for a while now, is joining us. Michelle is a management professor at Loyola University in New Orleans, executive coach and leadership expert, who recently published her first book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership. And we're super excited for I think I have like four or five copies of it. I'm really pumped for Michelle in this recent release. I want to just start off, I'm going to throw you a softball, if that's okay with you, and ask... Okay, so the title of the book is Seismic Shift in Leadership. And so the first question that comes to mind is, where are we shifting from and what are we shifting to and why? Great question. Well, hello, Greg, and hello, Doug, and hello to all the listeners out there. I'm really excited to be on this show. Yeah, there's a seismic shift. You all are seeing it. Everyone's feeling it. There's a seismic shift going on in every area of our lives. It's interesting. When I first started writing this book, years ago. I mean, it took me four years to write the book and I was about to send it off in March, 2020 when the whole world shut down. And you had asked what in the world was the seismic shift before? Where are we going? What was it? And the seismic shift that I documented in my book is the reason why I think the book is a global bestseller is because we're not going back to the way the things were before pandemic. We're not. Everything is shifting right now. And the good news is we have an opportunity to create a better work environment. We have an opportunity to show up as better leaders, to show up as just better humans, if not now, then when. So the seismic shift that I was referring to when I wrote the book is the old command and control style, which was very much older than you all, very much in vogue and norm. When I was being raised and as a professor, it was like a military drill sergeant almost, like you're going to get the best from your people if you're super authoritative and hard and you're going to demand the results, you're going to demand perfection and no excuses. And I mean, there's, you know, trade-offs in every style. But what we were seeing and as an executive coach, in addition to being a management professor, I was coaching all these leaders and I was seeing them getting pushed out of the organization, those who were subscribing to that old style. Style, that old command and control. And what I realized is that the leaders who were truly getting to the highest levels in their organizations were leaders who were focusing on really showing up and connecting with their people. And here's where I realized I had this big calling to write the book is I found whenever I begin an executive coaching relationship, y'all, I conduct a 360. So I interview the key stakeholders in the leaders' lives. So it can be personal, but most of it is professional. You know, their CEO, their peers, the people, their direct reports and across the system. So I have all of this incredibly robust data at my disposal. And that's how I figure out how to help as the executive coach, how to help this leader get to the next level. Well, I'm staring at all this data and I'm seeing, okay, the leaders that I'm working with who are really doing well have this extraordinary connection with their people they have that extraordinary connection with their people because they're so comfortable in their own skin. In contrast to the leaders that I was seeing getting pushed out of their organizations were showing up inauthentically. 
They were showing up trying to be maybe a mentor that they had, a coach they had, a former boss who led in very aggressive ways. And so they were not truly comfortable in their own skin. So they were showing up trying to be somebody else. And that's where disconnection happens. So that's when I realized the shift that you asked, where are we moving towards? It is all about connection and connection starts with yourself. You can't truly connect with others and get the best out of your team if you're trying to be somebody you're not or you're just uncomfortable in your own skin. So it starts with you. Is there a leadership style that is is a one size fits all? Or when you're talking with executives, you're dealing with different personalities, you're dealing with different organizational structures. What is it that is consistent across organizations other than, okay, I need to be authentic as a person. I need my employees or the team that I'm leading to believe me and believe in the direction that I'm going in the event that you know I want them to be there. But is there something that is just consistent other than the authenticity? You know, command and control is very easy to communicate because you have you know, you have a hierarchy, the person's in control. If you don't do what I say, then you're going to get fired or you're going to get you know, kicked off the team or whatever. What is it that's consistent across organizations that are successful now that can be drilled down to something easy like command and control was easy to drill down to maybe in the previous regime? Yeah, is just show up and just show that you care about your people as full humans. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One of the leaders that I coach, he said, coming out of the pandemic, he said, you know, we're now starting to get back into the office. He said, my team hasn't seen each other in two years. He said, you know, we just moved into this house on the water. I'd love to have a cookout. I said, do it. He goes, yeah, but my old boss told me that that was too personal, that I was supposed to only be a professional at the office and don't blend those two. And I said, well, that was an old command and control style of leader. It is all about connection now. Have your people over for a cookout. And he said it was one of the best things that he did. Another leader that I spoke to recently and asked, you know, how are you connecting with your team? Because so many employees are saying we still want to at least work from home two days a week, right? And so this particular leader said, you know what? He said, rather than having those formal, which is very old style, those formal team meetings where when you're dealing with a big company like Auctioner is 36,000 employees, if you have a big division team meeting, a lot of times it's formal. So each person, they're the VP of revenue, they're the VP of marketing, they show up very formal with all of their results of what they've done since the last meeting last month. So all of their numbers, right? Did you hit their goals? If so, if not. And so this leader said to me, he said, Michelle, I'm not doing that anymore. He said, I want to have real connection with my people. He goes, that's old school. He said, rather than doing that once a month, he said, I'm going to have little huddles where we stand up and we drink coffee one day a week, Friday mornings, and we're standing up and we're just connecting as humans. And I'm saying, hey, what's going on? How was your week? What do I need to know? What barriers can I remove out of your way? That's the real shift is much more of that formal hierarchical structure. Just do what I say because I'm in charge, right? And what have all the research has shown coming out of the pandemic that they said, I don't want that anymore, 
right? I want to be seen as a full human. So even something as little, you know, coming off of Labor Day weekend, and I was facilitating one of my clients' team meetings. And so he is a big CEO. He said, okay, you know, Michelle, she's my coach. And we're going to begin with a connection question. Take it away, Michelle. And I said, yeah, I just want to know, what did everybody end up doing on Labor Day? Because we were all, Ida happened this time last year. And even though it rained the whole time, it was that, you know, but tell us what you did. And just a connection question like that is what really builds trust because a lot of these teams are still on Zoom. So that's what this seismic shift, it refers to everything. You have to rethink how you're going to show up as a leader, what energy you're bringing, because, and I just listened to a really interesting podcast on the quantum physics of leadership. And the quantum physics of leadership really just boils down to the energy that you bring. And it's palpable, even on Zoom. So are you showing up as a leader who truly feels like command and control is still the way to lead and you think that you have control over everything and you tightly have your hands on the wheels? Guess what? That creates anxiety and stress. So how you show up is everything. I've actually seen studies from a you know managerial perspective when you're trying to get positive performance out of your employees, if you're acting in more of an encouraging manner versus somebody who's oppressive, you have better outcomes. I think the book has obviously been really successful. If you just look at the reviews on Amazon, they're fabulous. But it's almost self-evident and it's surprising to me that it still exists in the old command and control sort of context because it's just improving with empirical data that that doesn't produce the same type of results as being empathetic, being compassionate, and being aligned into your employees. Well, you know what I was just thinking of is the who, I guess, the late 90s, early 2000s, the hallmark of any CEO was the guy by the name of Jack Welch from GE. And if you recall, and I think this is correct, and of course, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but what Jack used to do each year was take the bottom 10% of all performers at GE and cut them. So if you were in you know, whatever division and you're ranked by your superior as in the bottom 10 percentile, then you're gone on an annual basis. I mean, of course, you know, GE is basically a shell of its former self. So that whole process completely unwound. But imagine being an employee, maybe you're having a bad year performance-wise. Maybe it's due to things that are going on at home. People have lives outside of work, obviously. And the anxiety that comes up with just because of a bad, you know, six or 12 months, you're on the hook or an exit. And so I just think of that as like the perfect situation for what a managerial style that was the you know, perfect style back in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s that you're now you have employees that have agency, you have employees that feel like they have some say in the direction of the business. Incentive structures are much better now than they had been historically. And so I think you're completely on to something there, Michelle. Well, Doug, you could not have picked a more perfect leader, perfect example of exactly what I'm talking about, Jack Welch and GE. As a matter of fact, I was working for a consulting firm at that time with the forced ranking system, and we were working with Entergy, and Entergy was following that Jack Welch model. And so it was a time where we really thought that the utility industry would not be monopolies. And so they were trying to become more customer focused and competitive. And so they did want to cut the fat from the top of the organization. 
However, by following that Jack Welch GE model forced ranking system, here's what happened. And I was a facilitator, these huge meetings, listening and facilitating these focus groups of managers and teams saying, okay, you're telling me that my team of 10 people, they're all high performers, all of them. Year after year, I give them out of fives or fives out of fives, but you have to tell me that I have to fire one of them every year. And so what the employees were saying is, okay, but you're asking us to become competitive, more competitive, more customer focused, more innovative, and more team oriented and collaborate with each other. But yet we know that one of us is going to be cut no matter if we're all high performers each year. They said, this is eroding trust. It's eroding safety. It's eroding everything. I'll never forget that. And that was in the nineties. And so you couldn't have picked a better example, Doug. You're absolutely right. And that's just does not work anymore. Again, all of the people are telling us, and that's exactly what you said, Greg, is you really can get more out of your people. I call it the return on connection, the ROC. All the research is showing that you will drive financial performance. You will drive innovation. You'll drive higher productivity. You'll drive more team collaboration by embedding time to connect. So I'll give you an example. I was working with Qualcomm out in San Diego and Don McGuire is the chief marketing officer. And he kept having me fly out during the pandemic. Whenever there was an opportunity, even if you had to wear masks, if there was an opportunity between different variants to get together, he'd fly his entire marketing division, all the leaders in from all over the world, that's big bucks, right? He said, because if we're going to stay the leading technology company, and he's, what was he just named by Forbes magazine, one of the most influential marketing, chief of marketing officers in the world. He said, if we're going to be leading in technology, we have to disrupt coming out of the pandemic. He said, everything's on the table. I want you to rethink how you work who you work with, when you come to work, how we meet, how we market, everything's on the table. He said, but in order to do that, smart guy, he said, we have to all be in person and we have to spend time connecting. So I'd have two days with all of his leaders. And the first day, it was all about embedding time to connect. Let's share significant life stories. Let's share times where where you were most innovative and times where you really weren't. Let's share. And after that first day, full day of connecting. Then the next day, creativity, innovation, they rethought and reimagined the whole world of work at Qualcomm. It was one of the most invigorating experiences of my professional life. And it all goes back to finding time to connect to get the results you want. So these are like awesome ideas. From a practical standpoint, what techniques exist to foster these types of like this change from a like the sort of avant old guard to more of an authentic, compassionate status quo, or like that sort of change to the new way of doing things. Greg, just hearing you say, I love hearing you say that because I can understand now why so many of listeners will say, Michelle, connection sounds really touchy-feely. Could you tell us what you mean by that? And I felt the same way when I started conducting. I went and interviewed 18 leaders from around the world to understand stories of connection and disconnection because I wasn't good at it. So I don't want people to think, oh, Michelle's just one of those people where she's all about connection and compassion. I wasn't good at it. You know, I had been trained and mentored by kind of military drill sergeants, and I was very comfortable walking into an MBA classroom and kind of barking orders, you know, at people. So I've had a real learning curve as well. And here's what I have found is that it just takes tweaking as far as going from, like I mentioned earlier, these formal 
big meetings where everybody's just expected to show up, give reports, and then disband and leave to much more informal coffee chats. I'll give you another example. So salesforce.com I was with and their workers still said they wanted to be remote. So a lot of people are thinking about the cost that they're saving in real estate, but I'm advocating that they rethink that cost because it's more of a shift because people have got to be in person to truly collaborate and brainstorm and innovate. And so Salesforce, they're building retreat centers. And every quarter, they're flying all of their people in in each division to face-to-face. They even have yoga. They'll do Pilates together. Those who play together stay together, right? And they brainstorm and work together. So that is something that I want your listeners to rethink. It's not about, oh, I'm going to save all this money in real estate. No, we as human beings are social beings, and we have to find time to be together. I'll give you another example. Juan Martin is in my book and he's the global president of Kind Bars. I just interviewed him for my podcast called The Seismic Shift. He's a European and he's based now in in New York City. I said, Juan, what in the heck as global president are you doing to connect with your people? He said, well, our people just told us they still want to work from home Mondays and Fridays, so we're not going to make them come into the office. So we're making the office much more appealing to them. He said, we want them to be on their computers and to be able to feed their kids breakfast and maybe go pick up from carpool, all the things that they really value during the pandemic. They realized, wow, not commuting. There are some benefits. Seeing my children more, there are some benefits, right? He said, we don't want to take that away. And when they come into the office, he said, Michelle, I don't even have an office door now. We reimagined the office space so that we can really capitalize on in-person collaborative time together rather than coming in, going into your office and sitting behind your computer. They're not going to want to continue to come in the office. They can do that at home. So it really is just this reimagining of work. So I don't want people to be scared that connection is touchy-feely. It's just being able to show up and see your people, whether it's on Zoom or in person, as a full person and asking them, how was your weekend? And how about that Saints game? Oh my goodness. And really taking time to have those personal connections because employees are saying, we don't want to work A, for jerk bosses anymore. B, we want flexibility. And C, we would actually like to enjoy the people we work with, what we do. So I've tried to deconstruct connection and what that looks like, feels like, sounds like as far as a research definition. And here's my best bet. Connection is shared reciprocity. So communication in the old way was transactional, hierarchical, do this, communication point A to point B. Connection, there's got to be an energy of reciprocity. I see you, you see me. So even though I'm the leader, I see you. I'll give you an example. I finally turned around when I was in my 20s, my teaching evaluations, because the dean said, look, if you want to stay here, you're going to have to figure out how to get positive teaching evaluations. And I said, I'm doing everything that my older male professors are doing, and they're getting faculty members of the year. And they're walking in and they're giving orders and they're putting zeros on their paper if they have misspelled words and they're locking the door. If anybody comes in late, they're kicked out. I was like, 
they're doing it and I'm doing it too, right? Well, it didn't work for me. And so I ended up having to figure out how to truly switch. I was trying to get them to make a connection with me and me as the all powerful in control. And I had to switch it over and make it all about how I can best connect with them and make it about them and their learning experience. And so that is a seismic shift in academia too. You know, the lecture, the professor as just the talker and expert and everything who writes on the chalkboard for three hours. That's not how kids are learning anymore. And students are falling asleep. No, I mean, before we hit record, you mentioned somebody who is a inspiring to me is Peter Raschuti, who we had on our podcast. And I had his class when I was at Tulane in the business school there. And you're exactly right. I mean, when you have a teacher and you can just replace teacher with leader, but somebody that's inspiring, that's engaging, that communicates and back and forth with students, that listens to students and looks for input as to where the direction of the class should go and what's interesting to people. And I mean, that's the best learning environment. I don't see it any different for a work environment from an educational environment. What is going to engage your students or your employees more, you know, writing on the chalkboard and saying, this is what you have to learn or you'll fail versus let me figure out what is most inspiring to these people and go the direction of that inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. And what we do in practice, Michelle, we have like 10 people working here now. We try to do kind of what you advocate in your book for on a day-to-day basis, which is connect with our employees, make them feel like they're a part of the team. We do happy hours and weekly meetings to just catch up and see how people are doing. We don't have a vacation policy. Basically, if you're doing a good job, we want you to be happy and we want you to stick around. And if it's also not working out, then it's just not meant to be. You'll know and we'll know, basically. Right, exactly. So I think that's an attitude that we're a part of the sort of philosophy that you're advocating in your book. And I think that's really the best way to get productivity out of your team. And it's also like from the standpoint of being a sort of domineering manager, that's not fun either. It's way more fun to have a workplace where everybody's congenial and feels like a part of the team. And even from the manager's perspective. Thank you. I just, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm just holding my hands up. I'm grateful to hear that. Thank you. This is the, I think the most difficult component to being an effective leader is, is really measuring that success. And so you can have a leadership philosophy and, and maybe this is just a slow moving ship in that if people are sticking around and your business is growing, then that's an effective measure of leadership. But do you have any tools at your disposal that are saying, okay, what I'm doing is right or what I'm doing is wrong? And how do I place myself in the competitive environment as an effective or ineffective leader? I love your questions, Doug. Yes. And I only came up with this assessment because I was out in San Diego with Don McGuire and the Qualcomm team at the very end of all of these huge, what we called big idea summits to disrupt by connecting. At the very end, he bought my book for everybody and we did a fireside chat. And so we opened it up and you know people could ask questions. And one of the leaders said, okay, so you're advocating that we become these leaders who are more connected with with our people. That's great. How do you measure it? 
How do we know if we're doing a good job? And that's when I realized I needed an assessment because the only thing that they were asking, like most big companies have an engagement survey and an engagement survey is one way of being able to tell you as a leader, are you doing a good job in articulating the vision so that they know why they're showing up for work each day, right? And really creating an engaging environment where they feel safe. So engagement is one of them. Obviously, retention, as you mentioned, is another one. If you have really high attrition, then there's a problem. So I'm about to put this on my website, a free assessment of connection. And I want everybody who's listening right now, I want you to think about first your leader. Think about your leader. Do you feel seen, heard, valued, respected, appreciated? Five dimensions. So on a scale of one to five, out of those five dimensions, did you give your leader a 25? Did you give your leader a 20? Did you give your leader a 15, 10, 5, 0? At the end of that fireside chat in San Diego with Qualcomm, after everybody kind of disbanded, a woman came up to me and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, I'm so glad that I joined a company like Qualcomm. I joined in the middle of the pandemic. She said, because I finally left my old abusive jerk boss because I was alone in an apartment in lockdown for 12 months straight because of my situation. And he never, ever once, my direct boss never once asked, how are you doing? She said, that's almost abusive. And I'm so appreciative that I'm now working for a company that is caring about seeing us as real humans. So think about, does your leader make you feel seen, heard, valued, respected, appreciated? Now, I want your listeners to do something else. Think about yourself as a leader. Do you think that you're making your people, your direct reports, your team feel seen, heard, valued, respected, appreciated? How would you score on that scale? That to me is meaningful connection. I completely agree with that, first of all. And and the other component to this too is the role of purpose and growth, just personal growth within a firm. I think what somebody said to me one time, which I think is, you know, absolutely correct is, you know, I'm in my job and I'm comfortable and I like who I'm working with, but I feel like I'm plateauing. And I basically feel like I've mastered everything that's given to me. And I don't see that there's anywhere for me to grow my knowledge and by growing my knowledge, ultimately grow compensation. And I think that that's a really good point that somebody made to me once is that if there's no clear path to continue to learn and continue to grow personally and to continue to feel like you have purpose in a practice in a growing firm, then you could be the best and the nicest boss in the world. But those people that are really high talented people that always want to be continuing to grow their ability are going to leave. You're absolutely right. That's one of the things that Warner Thomas did really, really well is he invested in his people. And he said, if you're a high performing leader, I'm going to make sure that you have opportunities for leadership growth. And so many of his highest leaders would go to Harvard for executive education and just came out totally. Yes, I agree. It's about how you can grow as a leader and as a human in leadership development. That's a beautiful incentive and tying it into purpose. You know, there was so much research coming out of the pandemic with the great resignation, the great reevaluation, the great reprioritization. And what employees were saying is that they wanted purpose. And they were willing to leave companies in order to find a place where they felt good, that something was bigger than themselves. So yeah, you're onto something there. 
for sure. I was talking with my father-in-law. I was talking about the state of affairs with the New Orleans Police Department. And those of the listeners that are based in New Orleans kind of understand what's going on there. And he was talking about a study that they did. They polled all of the active duty police officers. They had a consultant come in town from NYPD and try to figure out what, I mean, there's a lot going on that are issues in the city, but one of them is sort of engagement with NOPD and the lack of police officers on the streets. And so they did a poll and they asked, you know, what's important to you as an active police officer in a city that is experiencing a big wave of crime? And my assumption when he asked me this question was compensation was number one. And I think right after that, Latoya Cantrell had issued a new compensation plan for recruits coming in, trying to engage more outsiders to become police officers. And it was like something like fifth or sixth on the list of 10 levels of importance that compensation was not even, you know, in the top 50 percentile. And most of it was due to, you know, feeling like you were making a difference in the community that you were working in, feeling like your superiors heard you, you know, they had your back and things like that. And so it's funny that, you know, to me, you know, important thing for me is compensation. But to other people, it may be that you just want to show up to an environment that you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel like your leaders have your back, you feel like you're doing something that has purpose. And then, of course, you want to be paid for it, too. You are so right. I was just in a meeting with Dennis Lausha of the New Orleans Saints, and this was before our terrible loss against the Panthers. And he said, you know, it really doesn't matter whether you're winning or losing when they poll and when they research customers who buy Saints tickets, they say, why do you buy them? They said to be a part of the community and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, right? A way to all come together and think about the role that the New Orleans Saints played after Katrina. It was unbelievable the hope that the team gave to the city because they it was something so much more than just ourselves, right? Drew Brees is in my book and Swin Cash was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. She's a former Olympian and WNBA star. She works for the New Orleans Pelicans. And just to realize, you know, you're right. It doesn't matter whether you're a police officer or it doesn't matter if you're a corporate employee or if you're a fan wondering if they should buy you know, tickets to see a Saints game, it really is tying it into purpose and something bigger and to be a part of this group effort and to feel like you matter. You're right. And that you're making a difference. So you're on the circuit right now. When did the book launch? Yeah, the book hit number three on Amazon in the pre-launch and it was published on February 22nd. And then it went to number two in leadership. So I'm so grateful that it's a bestseller. It's super exciting. What's number one and what do we need to do to supplant it? <laughs> that's a great, that's a, I love your questions, Doug. That's a great question. Which, what is number one? I don't even know. That's so funny because Amazon sends me the metrics and my publisher sends me the metrics and they'll show that I'm number two, but I don't know what number one is. I need to know my competition. How are we going to get to the top, right? Right. Well, I'm sure after this episode, it'll be just skyrocketing. So I wouldn't worry about it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. And you're always a pleasure to speak with. And if anybody needs to find you, where can they find you? 
Absolutely. So my website's the easiest way, www.michellekjohnston.com. Michelle with two L's, a K for my maiden name and Johnston, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N. You can buy the book. You can contact me. I'd love to hear from your listeners. I'd love to hear about any questions that you have at all and any help that I can provide. I'm just enjoying this process so much, connecting with people and just this reimagining of our work lives and what we can get out of the world and how to show up as beautiful humans. I just think that now is our time to make such a positive difference in the world. Couldn't agree more. And I couldn't be behind you more as it relates to where work should be. And I think as people are working more and more, it's not like you're clocking in and clocking out now. So you have to feel like the work is a part of your life and that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And I think that you have the right recipe for it. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Oh, thanks so much, y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.